Hello there. Welcome along to the Huddle Breakdown. We're streaming live across YouTube and Twitch. Good to have you all with us. So it's a big night for Celtic this evening. AZ Alkmaar in the second leg of the Europa League playoffs. Celtic have a two-goal advantage from last week. And we're going to take a look at that game as well. Looking back at a busy week for Celtic all in all. Joko James is with me as always. Joko, how are you? Hey, good, Enda. Yourself? I always, I always call you Joko Baxon. It's, it's James is your real name. So Doesn't matter. I go by it. It doesn't matter. Alan Morrison is with me as well, aka Celtic by Numbers. Less uh, less difficult to complicate your name with your your title. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I hope you're well. <laughs> I'm I'm all good. I'm all good. I'm nervous, excited, nervous, yeah, excited yeah. going into the game tonight. So sure. obviously, look, there was a lot going on off the pitch uh, this week as well in the world of Celtic. The video emerging at the weekend of Rangers fans racially abusing Kyogo for Hashi. We're not going to delve too deep into that tonight because, as Anne said himself. There doesn't need to be endless debate about this on radio and on television and on podcasts like us, because what happened happened. It was wrong. And that's all that really needs to be said about it. It doesn't need debate. It doesn't need to be discussed. It was wrong. It was dealt with. And it was it was good of Rangers to actually ban those fans as well. So we're happy to see that dealt with. And we're going to just concentrate on the pitch stuff uh, on the podcast tonight. So I'm glad that, that, that it was dealt with in a swift manner and that we don't have to debate it. So happily enough, Keogo will move on from this and we will support him here on the podcast as well. So we do have to look ahead to this AZ Alkmaar game, but we want to look back to the St. Mirren game at the weekend because ultimately that will sort of play into what's going to happen tonight with the, the game plan, the starting 11, what's going to happen with midfield. So we haven't actually spoken about St. Mirren just yet. 6-0 at the weekend, Celtic won David Turnbull with a hat-trick. Uh, Abada with a double and Edward getting in on the action as well. There was a change in midfield. Christie came in as the number eight, Turnbull obviously again got his hat-trick as a result of that. Abbott is going again. So, uh, Alan, do you want to kick us off here with this St. Mirren win? Obviously, you know, the red card clearly pays, uh, plays a big role in this game, but ultimately I think it would have been a, a fairly strong Celtic performance, a fairly strong win anyway, without that red card. That seems to be the way that at the moment uh, we're nine games in and we seem to be building up a consistent record of creating a lot of chances, having a lot of shots, a lot of expected goals. And that's a great habit and a great direction of travel that, that we're on. There's no reason to suggest that the St. Mirren game would have been any different. I think, you know, Willie Collum did his best to ruin it for everybody. Frankly, you know, he brought St. Mirren got the rough end of a couple of calls. Um, and there's just numerous things which he got, he got wrong, basically, uh, all over the place. So, but aside from that, in terms of the Celtic performance, um, again, a lot, of, a lot of standout performances individually. Abada and Turner, Turnbull, sorry, obviously got the headlines and rightly so. Their attacking output was, was in, you know, immense. Frankly, uh, across all the various um, attacking metrics that we capture, um, you know, the, 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 did a piece on this on the Celtic by Numbers site. If you want to dig into it in more detail, but essentially, if you look across, you know, chances created, Turnbull. Um, you know, created uh, two chances, but Abad actually created eight chances. You know, uh, Turnbull had four shots on target and a hat trick. You know, uh, he also uh, was was again for the third time in four games hit over a hundred in his packing score, which means he's he's either get, he's either receiving forward passes or giving forward passes uh, to to a very very high level. Abad actually topped the team in that regard. 
Uh, and he also topped the team in terms of expected scoring contribution, which is expected goals plus expected assists. He, you know, he actually had a scoring contribution of three, and his expected scoring uh, contribution was actually two point seven. So, um, it just, just you know, insane numbers really. I know it's only one game. I know it's against ten, ten players, but you know. The, we've seen plenty of Celtic games against teams of similar caliber where we've, we've got nothing like these numbers, and, and and I think we're you know we're already um, you know nine games into the season, and, and in you know five of those games we've posted more than three expected goals, and last season we did that seven times in fifty three games, right? So even even in um, you know in nineteen twenty, which was you know a, Celtic played really well as we said many times by 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 any metrics, I ask. Th- you can correct me. That's fine, but it was something like a dozen expected goals instances over th- over three. We've already got five, so you know this is shaping up to be. You know, uh, I don't know. If he called two six nils a pattern, but the Hearts game actually, even though it was three two, was very similar in terms of the base base underlying data. Um, so yeah, a lot a lot to be positive about, frankly. Yeah, James, it was often a cliche that you learn more from your defeats than you do from your victories. And it is hard to know what you learn from a 6-0 win over a team that had a man sent off. But what I took from it was Celtic lost against St. Mirren in Celtic Park last year in this exact fixture, fixture around the same time. This year, they were a completely different team, a completely dominant side. And I think most importantly, we were the ones shaping what happened in that game as opposed to St. Murren coming and trying to, you know, force their game plan upon Celtic. Yeah, if I'm going to try and offer some balance, I mean, again, it's difficult to offer balance when you win uh, like that. But um, in the 19 minutes before the red card, uh, they had the the offside goal, which probably shouldn't have been an offside goal, chopped off. I think that happened in that 19 minutes. Is that correct, Alan? It was, it was after. It was after that? Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So it was when they were with 10 men. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Celtic, Celtic kind of went to sleep after the sending off a little bit, and it wasn't too long after. Really good right? spell. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, it wasn't had, too long after. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You had Christie's kind of quite reckless challenge, and then you had the sending off. That's right. All, all, That's right. all after the first goal, and after that sending. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I didn't rewatch that game. I've been rewatching Alkmaar for obvious reasons. Um, heading into today, but I, if you just look at that 19 minutes, we did a little bit, but not a lot. I mean, we, we, as far as actual chance creation, they didn't do anything. You know, so it's, you know, that never ending uh, waves of attack that we we put forward, but we didn't create a lot. And I, I, the only thing I'll extrapolate out of it, because, again, it was 19 minutes. That's not enough to even, you know, be concerned all that much about. But I, I think they set up with a diamond midfield uh, in kind of a three, five, one, one uh, with the midfield kind of in a four. Um, and I think the interesting, the reason why I may even mention that is one of the things I'm fascinated to see what happens going into Sunday more so than today. I think Alkmaar is going to do what Alkmaar does, um, which is, you know, pr- pretty much, uh, playing four, three, three or four, two, three, one, um, is more so whether Rangers go with a diamond midfield and cause they started doing that a little bit late last season, uh, in the four, one defeat, uh, they did that. Uh, and, I, and I can see some tactical reasons why they would do that. So, um, you know, we, we didn't blow away St. Mirren in those 19 minutes against a diamond midfield. Is that anything to take away from it? Again, I'm, I'm grasping at straws here uh, to try and, you know, look for something that could be 
you know, uh, to, to take to take out on it potentially as a concern coming out of the game. But other than that, I mean, yeah, it was the only other thing I'll say is that there is a huge amount of value in doing what you're supposed to be doing. And that's one of my criticisms that I had had uh, for Celtic generally and on a performance basis, meaning that if we're going to benchmark ourselves against the Ajaxes and the Salzburgs of the world, the Benficas, uh, we should be beating these kinds of teams this way more regularly. And certainly when you're down, they're down 10 men. So um, performing up to where we should be and, and blowing them away this way more frequently is a good sign. Um, and, and I think that's, I think we have a, some other risks. I, I wrote an article about that today or not today, this week. Uh, um, and I, we saw that in the hearts game where if you're conceding more chances, variability can go the, the other direction. Um, yeah. So if, if you're getting four XG, that's great. Um, but if you're conceding one and a quarter, just through randomness, that means you're giving up more chances and that some of those can go in, uh, and their teams lose games where they, they, um, you know, they, they get four XG and they, they concede one and a quarter much more than they do if they get two and a half XG and concede like 0.1, you know, because there's just, mm -hmm. you don't, teams rarely score when they only have those kind of chances. Um, so there's kind of a compounding effect of risk, the more chances you give up. And that's, you know, that we'll talk about that more as we look towards the, the AZ game, uh, the AZ, uh, game today. So, yeah, well, one thing that will give Celtic fans nightmares is the fact that Celtic were, I think they were unbeaten in the first 10 games last year before the, the first Derby match of the year. And then it all fell apart after that. The difference this year, I would argue is that we were stammering and stuttering over the, the smaller size last year at this time of the year before we got eventually got got beat by Rangers in the first derby of the season. That's when it all fell apart. So I, I think the signs are better this year that even if the derby doesn't go the way that we want it, I don't think the result will be as catastrophic as it was last season. Um, there are a couple of comments coming in afternoon to everyone who is watching on YouTube. If you are watching, do drop us a comment, drop us your thoughts on the game tonight and any questions you want to put to the lads as well. We'll get to them uh, some uh, later on in the show as well. So Alan, I guess one thing uh, that happened at the weekend that will probably impact this game tonight and one thing that was highlighted by you two guys on the show before is Christy in midfield playing with McGregor and Turnbull. He played as the eight. What was your thoughts on how it was implemented and did you think it was effective? Yep. So watching the game in real time live, Christy didn't really um, resonate with me. I didn't really pick up a lot of what he was doing, which is my naive mistake because I should know better. And then when, of course, when I watch it back, you realize the range of things he's contributing to. I mean, he, you know, he only he had more passes, successful passes than McGregor, for example, um, and only ten less than uh, than Turnbull. Didn't have to do a lot of sort of defensive stuff. He, he won one challenge, which is actually one more than McGregor and Turnbull had to do. He, he was actually probably the third most involved player in terms of total actions on the pitch. He he, um, he actually created four four chances. Now some of those might not. I think his expected assists was relatively low at 0.36. So I don't think there were great chances. There were probably passes for long shots, maybe a little bit, but he still he still he still created four chances. Um he was still the second so third sorry third best in terms of pa packing, passing, uh, forward passing. Um and I suppose he only had one shot, uh, which is probably quite unlike him really. But he was second to Abada 
in having a number of touches in the box at 10. So again, you see Christie contributing across a whole range of, uh, of, of, of defensive, creative and attacking um, contributions, which I think that eight role was perfect for him. So it was very difficult to say how much he influenced the game overall because of the nature of the game and the situation of it. But for me, you know, he's born for that role. Uh, and I wouldn't be surprised if he plays there uh, tonight. I know we'll probably come on to that. Alternatively, he may be preferred on the left, but we'll, We'll talk about that later. Mm. And just to finish off in the game, I know you mentioned mm. that you wanted to mention Carl Starfeld yes. and what what he did in the game. So, what what, what do you yeah. what, what, how do you judge a player when there's a six 0 win, especially a centre back? <laughs> yeah, I'm actually going to judge him not on what he did, but what he didn't do. <laughs> okay, okay, and okay. he didn't do a lot. I'm interested in this now. I am. I, I you, yeah. you picked my interest when you said you wanted to mention him. Yeah, and it started um, in, as I watched the first leg of the AZ game, um, and, and obviously he had a, a bad night. That you know there was two errors that led to their best chances of the night. Both came on his side, um, but what, what, obviously the first thing is that they've shifted him to right centre back and moved Welsh to left centre back. Now that intuitively doesn't make a lot of sense because Sarfield's played a lot on the left and Welsh hasn't hasn't looked comfortable on the right on the left. Sorry, when he's played there before. But actually, it's it's turned out pretty pretty well in in the sense that um, Welsh is now playing as the dominant centre back. So if you think of your Julian Ayer, um, first contact certainly for any aerial ball would generally be Julian in that partnership. Um, Welsh, as I say, is, is as I mentioned many times, is not particularly tall for centre back, and but he is the one that's now initiating first contact. And Starfelds, who actually in his first two or three games. His challenge, dual, dual rate, dual win rates, loss rates were actually pretty good, and then he and then he suddenly had a couple of night absolute you know nightmares off the cl- off the cliff type <laughs> performances. Um, it, what it looks like to me, long story short, is and I, and I tell you that he, in the first couple of games he was making 10, 12 packing passes. What I think's happened is every facet of his game, he's he's been t- he's been told to simplify. And to be not passive, but be almost like the, the more of the sweeper than the first contact defender, and and I think my interpretation of that is that that's incredibly good management from the manager, who who's trying to protect him because he realizes he's the pace of the game, the physicality of the game is 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 is, a, is proving to be quite a a challenge for him, and fitting into into Celtic's way of playing with a particularly high line. Um, and also, he's not, he doesn't have a lot of support in terms of aerial challenges beside him from fullbacks. It's, it's all on him if, if the ball comes into his sector, right? So it looks to me like there's a deliberate ploy almost of, if I say protecting him, that sounds a little bit patronising, but almost of, but it's almost is that to let him grow into the game a little more. And, and it's been very noticeable how he's he's dropped off on his contributions, his general contribution. Uh, and 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 perhaps he's being told just concentrate on your positioning, just concentrate on sweeping up, watch the second balls, be there for those, you know, and 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 then you know just basically simplify, simplify your game, because he's still he matched Welsh in terms of sort of recoveries, but as I say, whereas Starfelt in his first game had over a hundred completed passes, he had forty compared to Welsh's eighty-four against St Mirren at 100%. So he's doing the simple thing. He's keeping it really, really basic. Mm. And I think that's a way to get to help him to integrate quicker into the team. And as I say, I think that's really smart management. 
Yeah. So it's clearly our left centre back that is the one that's carrying the ball and being uh, being led as the the man who's going to be linking the defence with the midfield. Then. Yeah, yeah, and, and and in fact, you've you've picked up on a good point. Is what has been really noticeable in the last two games is the number of um, uh, ball carries that that Welsh had. In fact, in the, in the St Mirren game, he had seven progressive runs. So that's that's more than anybody else in the team. And that we've never seen that from Steve Welsh. Well, that's completely mm-hmm. new, right? So, 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 the, so there's an impact here, and they're actually putting more pressure onto Welsh. And Welsh's workload has gone up, and and he's having to fight for more first contact balls. And in fact, against St Mirren, even Curtis Main is a pretty muscular guy, right? And he fights hard for the ball in the air. And Welsh was six and five on challenges, right? So his numbers weren't fantastic. Main roughed him up a few times, so it's a risk. But mm. I, th- I think there's, I think there's a little bit going on there. Welsh is taking on more responsibility. Starfelt's being allowed to feel his way into the team. I think that's my reading of it, anyway. James, do you want to come in on that? Well, I thought I thought it was interesting, uh, just observationally. Um, St- Starfelt being the deepest, closer to the halfway line, even when you know against ten men, and then you almost had like a three-man next line where you had Welsh, McGregor. And then uh, Ralston is kind of the inverted fullback um, with Abada wide and then Taylor wide. And, um, you know, against 10 men, St. Mirren, that I don't think the, that there's not a lot of risk there. And I think if with Christie constituting the, uh, the right side of midfielder, that's a lot of athleticism in that uh, next layer of, of, uh, of position for transition. And again, it was St. Mirren with 10 men. Um, I'll be curious to see if we play that way today because that creates a lot more risk on the flanks against pace, I would think. I mean, you tell me, Alan. Uh, um, I mean, if you've got Welsh wide and and and, and uh, Ralston inverted with Starfelt dead central, that, that re- if any of those guys get beat or we just get a bad bounce, then all of a sudden you've got kind of two-on-one, one-on-one type of opportunities with Starfelt kind of as the last guy. Um, and we know that's, you know, with his pace, that's not uh, not a situation we're going to be fond of uh, getting into. So I, I'll be curious to see whether whether we end up setting up like that. Because um, I, I, I agree with Alan. I mean, I think it makes a lot of sense given that opponent in those situations, I think it's putting Starfeld in a position to to succeed more rather than asking him to do things that maybe he's not yet comfortable doing um, on a sliding scale, obviously. And Welsh has been showing that he's more comfortable doing a lot of those things, including being aggressive in coming forward to challenge um, uh, balls. So, you know, we'll, we'll see. I think that's the big thing against the St. Mirren at home. That seems like a good plan, whether it's uh, – going to be deployed against better opponents on the road um and whether that's a good idea or not i think that'll be the just, next kind of question sorry james just on just on that point then very quickly uh i mean as ed weren't um don't didn't have a big physical center forward you know they're, they're, they're kind of quick clever players up front but they do like to get the ball forward very quickly and they they therefore do play quite a lot of high balls and against against them welsh was 12 and 2 on challenges Mm-hmm. Um, so he, he actually was pretty dominant in the air against them. So that's that'll be interesting to see how they if they're going to yeah. play the same way. Um, yeah. You know, he, he's going to because you know he's he's not a really dominant guy, but he he did well very well that night. 
Yeah, they're not they're not particularly big. Um, they actually don't really challenge aggressively. They they're looking to your point. You've written about this week about uh, kind of a pseudo kluge, hmm. um, in ways they're looking to win that second ball more so than aerially competing. And I think that's that's where I I think about uh, risk in that if you get, um, you know, kind of lines of Starfelt and then you and he's central and then you've got Welsh coming in to attack balls even if he wins them just with randomness and luck. I mean, winning those balls is one thing, uh, controlling the, where they go, uh, to a teammate is a second level of, you know, that's not that common with any kind of certainty, meaning that even if you're good at that, maybe you're doing it 60% of the time. Uh, you know, you're not, you're not directing those kind of headers 90% of the time directly to a teammate. So that creates kind of a chaos and those second balls, if they're one, to your point, they like to play direct. They've got those guys out wide pacey Carlson's coming back. Um, probably I'm assuming. So that that's again, when I think of the pieces and how they're fitting together here, that's where I start to get a little nervous if we're going to play that same way. Mm -hmm. Um, and it doesn't mean it's going to not going to work. It's always going to be, you know, if you get a couple of bad bounces, some un unlucky things that happen. And we, we had a few things. This is my, my rewatch of the game last week. I, I counted seven different chances in the first half hour where they could have done something a lot more threatening if there was a little bit better decision or if there was maybe just a luckier bounce in their direction versus our direction. Um, so there's really fine margins sometimes in some of these games. And I think last Tuesday was a good example of that, or I'm sorry, last Wednesday was a good example of that. Um, so that, that's, that, those are the kind of things that teams like Cluj and, and uh, Alkmaar feast off of is, mm. is some of that randomness that is just kind of inherent to the second balls. The first derby of the, the year is taking place this Sunday. It's in Ibrox. And of course, going into it, there's always a bit of narrative going into a Celtic Rangers game. <laughs> I mean, this year it is COVID once more. Rangers have had a couple of close contacts, a couple of positive cases within their camp ahead of their European fixture tonight. And uh, there are a couple of people who are confirmed to be out. Now, this may change. There's a lot sort of a lot of moving plates, a lot of different rule changes, a lot of things that the SFA can make decisions that they can make going into this game that could affect it so as of now as of when we're speaking mcgregor will be out travenier will be out and kent will be out that's who we think will be out for this game and there could be more there could be less so that's that's where what i could find that's the information i could find if anybody say, say those again say those again mcgregor travenier and kent okay they're uh, the three key players that i would say the mclaughlin would be uh, available yeah as far okay. as i know there could be there could be changes. If anybody has seen any new information since we started recording this podcast, do let me know. Let Breaking me know news. If, uh, well, how how, if, how would you how would you know, Enda? How would you know, Enda, if nobody is prepared to ask the two questions that need to be asked? And they're very simple questions. Number one, which players have tested positive? Number two, when did they test positive? And nobody has asked that question. You know, no, nobody's a, prepared to ask that question. There, there is another question that I was wondering about this because it, it does affect things, and I don't know what the rules are in Scotland, so I could be wrong. But who are they not vaccinated? Yeah, so because um, in Ireland, the close contacts—if you're a close contact and you're vaccinated, you're fine. You don't have to get a test. You don't have to self-isolate. You don't have to do anything like that there if you're fully vaccinated. So, I'm confused by that. If, you, if, you're if they were vaccinated, um, even if they'd been in contact, they would have been allowed to, to travel. 
So, so either there are in, the players who have not travelled are either been in contact and have not been vaccinated, or they're tested positive, or they have another injury. Yeah, or they're, yeah, or they're, they're, or they're, they're keeping them keeping them fit for this game. So, well, there, there's a third scenario, and I, again, I, I don't I don't want to get bogged into uh, yeah. uh, vaccine um, or pandemic politics or analysis, but um, the UK technical report through August 6th was just released. Um, and there are, and we're seeing this in Israel, we're seeing it in the United States. So basically the countries that were early to vaccinate, um, th there are breakthrough cases that are occurring. So you, again, I'm not saying they did this. Th this is, you know, uh, raw meat for conspiracy theorists, no matter what happens here. But, um, I could see a decision being made from a risk management perspective. I mean, if somebody were vaccinated with Astra, AstraZeneca, for example, and they had a direct contact of someone who tested positive, let's say someone who wasn't vaccinated, came down positive on the team, somebody's an AstraZeneca double vaccination person with what, and they were, and it happened six months ago or five months ago, uh, which is kind of the timeline with what they call this titering of the antibodies. So you, you could have a risk management decision to say, okay, we're just, we don't, because if they get that wrong and, and there's these breakthrough cases, you could be ended up with a super spreader event mm. uh, where people are testing positive. And I'm not talking about disease or going to hospital or anything like that. I'm just saying testing positive. So that is happening now where people that were vaccinated um, are, are testing positive for for COVID. And um, so from a risk management perspective, I could see that being a decision that somebody would make because they're flying on planes. I mean, that, yeah, that's yeah, it's close quarters. And of course, yeah, hotel, it's everything like that there. So I do apologize for my ignorance on the topic when it comes to this. And I can only say this is all uh, the reports that we're working off here. So the no. reports are that those three players haven't traveled to Europe. That doesn't mean they have they've tested positive that doesn't mean they're close contacts but it it certainly is pointing in that direction yeah but the point There's... the point is ender that that you know based on the history and context of scottish football we should be demanding full transparency about this well we we will find out on sunday but i guess if anybody's looking to find out what the score is in the rangers game so far they are nil nil with ashkirk fc in the europa league uh, qualification they are one nil up on aggregate so they'll go through as the results stand i think ashkirk got a player sent off in that game as well so that's how they're getting on in europe at the minute let's talk about the derby this weekend and i guess it's quite similar to this game in uh, in europe against az that it's all about how celtic approach the game how will they approach this game how will they line out the team will they go for the win i think Ange will go for the kill here i think he sees that Rangers are not as strong as they were last year, that this can't have been helpful, the COVID news during the week. And um, I think Celtic are, are ripe for a good win here, Alan. I'm not sure if you fully agree with me on that. <laughs> so it's an interesting one because I, it's very unlikely that the, 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 they, will, they will play very differently to how they always play. Because it's they actually, and I, when I say they're predictable, I don't mean that in a negative sense. They have a very distinctive and, and definite way of playing. It can, now, the, the shape can be, as, as James says, it could be a variation on 4-4-2 or it could be a 4-3-3. But the basic principle of, of keeping controlled possession as much as possible, even if it means not necessarily playing very quickly, but keeping that control 
of keeping a very, 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 uh, again, a, a, a rigid, rigid is the wrong word, but certainly a very compact shape and, and, and moving, moving together across the pitch, keeping very disciplined about distances between players of not just banging crosses into the box, of playing of playing very controlled, trying to work the ball into the box, into optimal shooting. Uh, uh, you know, these are all really sensible, good things to do, and they're very well drilled and very well organised to do all of those things. They're not going to change fundamentally how they play. They have no idea how Celtic are going to play. They can watch the videos of the game, that you know the nine games so far, but they, they've not experienced a team playing like this uh, against them. And that's going to be fascinating. And so, you know, you might say, you might think, um, my, and my initial thought around Postacoglu in terms of risks was, oh, oh, you know, when you hear the anecdotes about I want my teams to play the way that my dad would want them to play, and that's a great story. But in the back of my mind, I'm thinking Tommy Burns. I'm thinking six players bombing forward and and Derek White, <laughs> Derek White at the back on his own, and all this sort of stuff. And I'm just thinking, oh no. <laughs> you know? But actually, what I've seen. And I'm specifically referencing Mitterland uh, home when we went down to ten players, and the, seeing out the EZ game is, um, you know, he's, he's a smart guy. <laughs> he's a smart tactician. Yeah. This isn't going to be, you know, a cavalry charge, uh, a light brigade moment. This is going to be controlled, aggressive, attacking, relentless play like we've seen in all the most in all the games since Mitterland, frankly. Mm-hmm. Um, now. Would, and therefore, you know, I look back at I look back at the um, the last two seasons of of derby games, and if you actually average them all out, they're, they're absolute coin tosses, coin tosses overall in terms of the, the actual numbers across across the metrics. And yet, you know, they've won sort of seventy one percent of the points, and we've won twenty nine percent. And actually, the only things that I would say we've been outplayed on would be. Um, they, they're slightly stronger on, on on ball progression and on transitions, and they are uh, better at and because of, I think because of this patient approach of getting more touches in the box, not by a lot but by a little bit. And then the other major difference that stands out, if you look at the, the, the data across the two teams, is just that Celtic have made more defensive errors, frankly, in those games. There's really, really been nothing between, but but um, you know the, the Rangers have had. The, obviously, the the better outcomes. Now, you could al- you could almost discount two of those games because the two nil win that they had at Celtic Park in September, when when we had our COVID crisis and we had was it Klamala or Johnson up front and just an absolute you know shambles of a team and we hardly we hardly we'd have a single shot um, was a bit of a bit of an outlier, and then the very last game of the season when they won four one. Um, when you know if, if they, they'd won the league, we kind of given up. But even even if you add even if you add those games in, it's a, it's a it's it's absolutely fifty fifty in, in in terms of that data. But but that but we're talking about a, a Rangers team that was settled, had two players in every position. Any injury they did get, and they didn't get as many as Celtic, was compensated by a player of pretty very similar ability coming in. Um, we know that the and this is the modern football data from. Uh, Ortec, um, they overperformed on XG by nearly one goal a game. Now, I don't, I've never seen that before. I'm pretty sure that's not sustainable <laughs> to, to be one goal above XG in every single game. Um, you know, we know about the the players that weren't sent off and subsequently were, and the no penalties and the no records, and all that variance seemed to go one way. So, all of those variance elements, uh, the expected goals outcome, the 
the the COVID the COVID outcomes, the all of those things went one way. And this was the worst Celtic team in the in in memory in the last 10, 12 years in terms of our performances. And it and it was and the, and there was almost parity across the data across the last the last yeah. eight nine fixtures. So the, uh, that gives me hope that because what we're going what, what the Celtic that they're going to see um, on Sunday is very different to the Celtic they've seen in the last nine games. I think last year it was very evident that the physicality and just sheer athleticism of Rangers was well ahead of where Celtic were at at that point in time. And that's something that you highlighted, James. I know you've do- been doing a lot of work on formations and, and things like that, uh, about Rangers going coming into this game. But firstly, your thoughts on Celtic's athleticism and the difference that that's going to make in this game because the Celtic team that this Rangers side are going to meet this year are entirely different in everything that they do in terms of uh, work off the ball. Yeah, I, I have uh, I have very little confidence in trying to uh, forecast this game. I that, which is why I think it's so fascinating. I mean, I, I love this game and this matchup as as uh, someone who's analytically minded because it's extremely challenging. Uh, you have so many unknowns. Throw in this COVID stuff now that that's an even uh, another layer of complexity, um, and. I, I did a couple of threads on Rangers earlier this week. They're they're conflicting, meaning that I, I think there are some structural problems as to why Rangers' performance levels. The, at Allen's point, um, the vast majority of their ability to win the or earn, and they did, they earned the points last season that they did was that confluence of different variants. That thirty-one goals of outperformance uh, between over, outperforming on in attack and also outperforming in defense throw on top of that a really good season from Alan McGregor, which was good for another seven or eight goals. Um, and then you have the 10 to one penalties and I think it was six to one red cards or six nil red cards, something like that. So you throw all that together, that kind of masked, which what was an underlying decline in chance creation um, and net net, what I call, you know, not what I call, but what is non-penalty XG differentials, right? So their their actual underlying performance metrics had deteriorated and deteriorated more so after uh, um, the holiday season. Um, so, so that's that's what I documented. I have a theory as to why that happened. I think they're ha- they're struggling with creativity out of the midfield is my my uh, kind of um, analysis. But and this is the big but. I do a lot of trend work. And um, they have started to recover, meaning that if you look at late last season, they really were in a downturn. And it looks like they may have kind of bottomed out here. Um, And some of that's just natural. You get into a new season, players are refreshed a little bit. And I think that creates a disparity between better teams versus lesser teams where the better teams are fit and and fresh. Um, There's some seasonality to that, as I would call it. Uh, so I, I, I think we're going to get a really good version of them. Um, this new COVID variable, I think that depending on who's out, it could be, a. um, for example, I'm much more worried seeing Patterson at right back than I would have been with Tavernier, to be honest with you. I think Patterson's athleticism is a much bigger concern, his speed, his quickness, um, relative, I would much rather see Kyogo and, and or Edward or 
Forrest out there on the left going up against Tavernier athletically versus a Patterson, for example. So I think there's positives and negatives to what this might end up meaning. Um, you know, McGregor has not been good this season. So it could be a blessing in disguise for them if McLaughlin's the one that plays theoretically. Um, so, you know, I, I, the other part I'll say is I, I, I'm fascinated because I, I went back and I looked. I could not find much in the way of teams that played a diamond midfield against Anja's system in Japan. And this reminds me of back prior to the, uh, the January 2nd derby when I did my homework to see about people that played the diamond midfield against Liverpool or Rangers 4-3-3 and hadn't really found too many examples, but the ones that had had been quite good. And uh, so I'm curious to see whether they do go with a diamond because just to my mind, it would create some issues with the way we're playing. And I, and again, I expect we'll make adjustments. I expect, as, as Alan said, I mean, everything that I've seen so far from Ange is, um, brings confidence, more confidence than less. Um, but it's a matchup thing and, um, it's new, new from both directions. Uh, so that's what makes it so exciting and interesting. Mm. Um, so I'm, I'm curious how between selection and, and, you know, how each team sets up. Cause I, I really, I don't have a good sense one way or the other. Yeah. I think it's certainly more of an interesting game than last year's in terms of, you know, just intrigue of how each team are going to set up. I do want to interrupt our preview of the, the Derby this weekend because the team news is in for this evening. I'll start with AZ Alkmaar's team. They've gone with a 4-3-3, Velhurst and Nets. So Gawara at right back, uh, Leicester and Martin, in- Martin Zindi are the centre-backs. Wittry is the left back. Uh, Mitro, uh, DeWitt and Cooper Miners are the, the midfield three. Abukal, uh, Pavlides and Carlson are the front three for AZ Alkmaar. And Celtic have gone with a 4-3-3. Joe Hart's in Nets, Taylor at left back, Ralston right back, Starfield at the right side of defence uh, with Welsh at the left. So similar to what you mentioned at the weekend, Alan. Turnbull, McGregor and Rogic are the midfield three, Rogic on the right-hand side and uh, Abada, Furhashi and Christie on the left-hand side up front for Celtic. So it's pretty much spot on to what you predicted earlier on the show, Alan. So I guess we'll interrupt the the preview of the Rangers game for immediate reaction to that team yeah um as i say uh, that's what i would have expected just i think the the energy that that gives in terms of where they've got threat bringing the ball forward uh that that makes a lot of sense uh to me i think probably edward and keok is a little bit risky in terms of just that pressing from the front i think you know i think Celtic are going to be on it and putting them under pressure um from the beginning so that, that that's the that's the right team to do it other than that I don't think there's a lot of uh, choice, really. Um, I'm, you know, looking at the bench. Um, you know, we've got a lot of, uh, you know, got four four kids there. You know, Urugidi, Shaw, Robertson, Montgomery, uh, Bolingoli, who we don't suspect is going to have a future at Celtic. Um, and then you've got Biton, Ajeti, Soro, and Edward. So, you know, it's 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 actually, you know, obviously you can bring on Edward is 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 huge uh, and massively can can improve the team in a moment, but you can see why we're still a long way short in terms of the squad of where we need to be. Yeah, exactly. So just to return to the Rangers game this weekend then, so I guess the the lineups will obviously make a a huge difference going into this game. The mind games have already started between the fans and 
I suppose there's there's massive intrigue in this game all the time. It's it's live on Sky Sports actually, so Sky showing a bit of interest for once in their life uh, in the Scottish League, despite having the rights to the to the league. I, I I don't know why BT didn't get them. I mean, BT does such a such a stellar job compared to Sky Sports, but uh, that's a side point. Just to finish up, I guess going into the game, it, I don't think it's make or break. I don't think the season will fall apart like it did last year if Celtic don't win it, but what are your thoughts on what happens if Celtic lose, James? I I don't think it's make or break, as I said earlier. I, th- I think this is a marathon, not a sprint. Um, obviously prefer to get a result of some sort, uh, but I, I'm actually more concerned about what happens between now and midnight Tuesday uh, with the remainder of the transfer window um, because what the relative quality of the squad is for Ange is over 38 games is my paramount concern because uh, if he doesn't get the depth that he needs with the way that we're playing, I'm really concerned about that Uh, quality depth meaning that we, I think with Ralston coming on, we've got some depth there now with Juranovic coming in. Um, if Christie and or Edward leave, that's a whole different situation than if they don't. Even if they bring in uh, Giamakis or whatever, the, the Greek striker that's, you know, the Duncan Castle reported about, we're haggling over wages apparently. Um, so, you know, I, I really want to see that more so than what result comes. Because as we've seen, first games at Ibrox, you know, who knows? Uh, some great managers in the past have had rough games and gone on to do quite well <laughs> in under those circumstances. So I, I'm not going to get in too much of a bother analytically. I mean, I'll be going berserk if it's not a great outcome um, or berserk in a good way if it is. Um, Sunday regardless. But yeah, from an analytical perspective, it's it's really, you know, one of probably, uh, I would think, four derbies um, in the league. And, you know, I, I think it, we need to keep our head about it in that regard. Hmm. Alan, your thoughts? Yeah, so I mean, fun, fundamentally for me, um, the direction of travel that we're on here is hugely encouraging and that will not change with defeat on Sunday. Okay, the fun, the fundamental approach that Postecoglou is trying to put in place, the way the team is playing, the confidence he's given the players, what they're trying to do, the outputs that they're producing, give me massive, massive hope that this is going to be a terrific season. But the way that we play, the way that he, he wants the team to play, the intensity, the relentlessness to the pressing, the movement that's required, we need a big squad, uh, and, and there isn't the depth there. And so I'm actually more, as, as exactly what James said, I'm more concerned that we get that depth in over the next week is, is, is a, would be of greater concern to me than, than losing a game through some variance or whatever uh, on, on Sunday. Because, um, you know, they've got, a ma- they've got the biggest squad in Scotland. They've got a massive squad. They've got nearly three players for every position. And it's pretty much like for like. Mm. Um, now, and you know, we know that they've been trying to sell players for economic reasons. They may, they may or they may not. It's not really a, a seller's market at the moment. Um, if they don't, then it means they've got an enormous squad uh, to, to, to navigate through the system, uh, through the season, sorry, and Celtic at the moment are, are absolutely threadbare, and that's the thing that needs to be resolved more than anything because the direction of travel is absolutely the right direction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I have a breaking topic to bring up, and if that's okay, because I, I, I finally got on my phone the uh, Alkmaar lineup, so... Uh, they signed apparently a a fullback from um, 
the Danish leak from Jurgarden, this Witchery. Um, so that's going to be another change. I'm assuming he'll play left back. That's left back, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so when we talked about the issues that they had last week where they had that midfielder playing at left back, well, this guy's not a left, this guy's not a midfielder. Uh, and Carlson's back on the left, which puts uh, um, 17 on the right. So, again, I don't know if this guy's any good. I haven't looked at him at all, but he looks like actually a natural right back over time. So he, maybe he's playing on the opposite side. Maybe they'll flip the other guy, uh, the uh, Sagara, <laughs> uh back over there. One of them is going to have to play on the side that they usually don't. But, again, he's, at least they're not a midfielder. So yeah. the guy's tw- 25, looks like a decent size you know, your garden's a, a good, a good team. Um, I'm sorry, in Sweden, not Danish, yeah. obviously. Um, so yeah, I, so that, that's to me, a, a, an important change. Um, so this in, throwing him straight in, in right? <laughs> yeah, it looks like it. Well, again, with a week, week to plan, uh, he, he last, he last played on August 8th against AIK in, uh, in Sweden. So that looks do you, like do you know if, um, did Carlson play in the league game? They, uh, the first league game? Yeah, their league game. Because he hasn't pretty played sure. for a while either. Yeah, pretty sure he did. Yeah, um, okay, that's fine. I'll, that's fine. I, I presume he probably did. He was. It was a suspension, so that, that makes sense. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, pretty brave to, to chuck a guy in like that. Yeah, he, he uh, played six, yeah. 61 minutes. Yeah, yeah. So listen, yeah. they've not had a lot of football. It's what it comes down to. So, you know, if you're looking, yeah. for, if you're looking for risks, there's some risks right there. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. But that, so basically, uh, Gunderson dropped out as we had talked about, looks like it'll be mid zone Cooper miners as those kind of two sitters with DeWitt again at the 10, uh, but a totally different left side with, with, with Abu Klaw as the, the right-sided, um, winger attacking midfielder. So mm-hmm. get the ball to Abada then starting left back is just in the side, not used to the system. There's yeah, somewhere yeah. you can take advantage of 100%. So just to finish up then on this uh, on this sort of preview special of uh, of the huddle breakdown, I'm not I I don't really like doing predictions, especially a couple of days out when you don't see the team, and especially when there's situations going on with COVID. But one thing I'm going to predict is that near Beton will not get sent off in this game. So hopefully Celtic <laughs> will stay uh, with 11 men on the pitch. But you can never be guaranteed in these sort of fixtures. But I think Celtic are going to win. I'm not going to say a scoreline. I do. I think just the momentum that they have at the minute is a lot better and a lot more in their favor towards a, a win as opposed to what happened last year. Alan, do you want to make some sort of prediction going into it? <laughs> I, I honestly, I, I think it, it, I don't want to shy. I don't. I'm not. I don't generally make predictions. I'll be honest with you. And I, I, this is such a difficult one to call because of you know these. This is going to be such a different proposition for them, but also for for you know for Postecoglou and the team going to. Ibrox with no supporters uh, supporting them at all. I mean, it's going to be pretty weird um, and very probably very hostile, obviously. Um, but you know, will will the team be full of confidence? They certainly should be, uh, and I'm sure Postecoglou will have them well prepared. I think you know the momentum, the way the team is playing. I have great hope, but I, I wouldn't be surprised to be disappointed. But as I say, it wouldn't change my outlook for the way that we're going. The way that we're going. So I don't know. Call that a draw, mm-hmm. <laughs> James. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I'd feel a lot better um, seeing what happens tonight because, again, I, I, my, my um, as I keep using the phrase, how this scales, <laughs> you know, the system and the way that we're playing that looks so terrific against Dundee's and Hearts and um, the ten mans. Yeah. <laughs> well, right. Well, right. So again, 
I, I was a lot less optimistic on that on the game than, than you were, Alan. And, and, and I think um, so I, I, that that's my concern, which is we, we kind of had a second when, when Mitchelland, another well-run team, had a second bite at the apple, um, gave us real problems. Now, again, different back line, Murray playing. It's apples and oranges in that sense. But Alkmaar is a significantly better team than Mitchelland. Um, so I, I want to see what happens tonight. And then I, I totally think it's a crapshoot, but I, I'll say crapshoot with fat tails, meaning that, you know, I, I expect I could see us winning five nil and I could see them winning five nil. And those outcomes that are usually extremely rare are probably multiples higher than they would normally be. Still, still unlikely, very unlikely, but instead of a 0.01% chance, maybe it's a 1% chance. You know what I mean? So fat tails in that sense, because there's so much um, unpredictability here and combustibility, and you have a, a really high variance style that's kind of inherent to, to Angie's system um, that, you know, that that's the thing that I, when you look at his track record, there, there are games that things just go really wrong. And some of that's just because of, you know, bad luck. And when you're playing aggressively, if you get bad luck playing aggressively, then you can, you know, catch some, uh, some, some real beatings. So, um, so yeah, I, I, I'm not giving an actual prediction other than really, really wide band of potential outcomes. (laughs) So you're firmly on the fence is, is craps. Is that coward? I'm a coward. Is is that the one you throw the dice in the craps craps table? Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I, yep. I'm not, I haven't experienced a real casino in like Las Vegas or anything like that. So. Oh yeah. Yeah. Cra- Craps is a terrific game if you learn how to play it. Yeah. So there it's you go. Nice. What's it to learn? So you have to, it's <laughs> actually, so that's the thing. So you, you have, have to throw it, throw it and get the same numbers. Is that <laughs> it? Uh, yeah. But again, you, seven, you, seven, a good number. You, you got to be a dork like me. So just like there are people, you know, like the MIT people that learned how to count cards and you can count cards deep into decks to be able to, you know, create uh, probabilities that are better or at least equal to the house. Um, there are ways to play craps where you can pretty much replicate the house odds. And if you're smart about it, you know, you can you can stand at a craps table and have fun for a long time without being reckless. Um, and, and, you know, and that to me, that's fun. If you're at a hot craps table, there's nothing better in a casino. I mean, that that's yeah. it's it's terrific. So I recommend it to anybody if they enjoy such things. Coming up on Breakdown Inc. on the YouTube channel, James is going to teach everyone how to count cards and win a little bit of money. That's a, that's I a got thrown podcast. out of one casino. I did. I got I got thrown out of one casino for counting cards once. I want to hear that story. I do want to hear that story. At some point. We, don't, we don't have time for it on today's Casi- show, Casino Royale on the Strip. <laughs> I, promise. I, more, 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 I, was, I was hoping more like Goodfellas. I thought it would take you no, in the back. No, no, no. Stick, well, a nail, I, stick a nail through your hand. No, I don't get, I, I, I wouldn't gamble enough. I was better, you know, f- five and $25 kind of hands. And that's why I was so mad. I, I, you know, the pit boss came over and gave me a tap on the shoulder and he's, you know, all right. No goons, right, well, unfortunately. We are we're definitely going to return to that at some stage of the season. I would say what wh- whenever Celtic are playing, maybe St. Johnson or or, uh, or 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 Hibs or you know Hamilton or something. Instead of analyzing that game, we'll we'll bring you that story about the time that James got thrown out of a casino for counting cards. That is us <laughs> on the huddle breakdown for this week. Uh, best of luck to Celtic tonight. Hopefully, Celtic will get a win. Hopefully, everyone enjoys the game and enjoys the game at the weekend as well. If you want to find more of us, you can subscribe to the channel below on YouTube or on Twitch. 
where you will get notified every time a video goes live or you can get us on podcasts on itunes on spotify and on twitter as well at huddle breakdown or at the breakdown inc as well james allen thank you have a good week guys yeah all right we'll chat to you later good luck